0: You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Sluts and Scholars. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars, where we talk smart and fuck smarter. I'm Nicoletta, and I'm a marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And usually you would hear Simone right about now, but she is quite busy studying for her Final exams at law school, which seem to be a beast. So I know that she is sad to be missing this and she sends her love and she will be back very soon. I'm super excited because she's going to be coming back to Los Angeles for the summer um, to work at a really cool internship. Um, doing exactly what she loves to do, which is like reproductive justice. And we will be happy to have her back, but today we are going to make her jealous as we welcome uh, Victoria Brooks, who is a writer and researcher on sexual ethics. She has published academic, media, and fictional pieces on the connection between philosophy and sex, her PhD research took place on a public sex beach and was an attack on philosophy and philosophers in the name of rethinking sexual ethics for women. Her book, Fucking Law The Search for Her Sexual Ethics, is out on June 2019 for zero books. She's currently working on an academic project on consent and queer sex clubs, and she's writing an anthology of erotic fiction and philosophy. Welcome. Thank you. What a lovely introduction. <laughs> Well, you wrote it, but you know.
1: <laughs> I know, but still, it feels <laughs> weird to hear it in the title of my book. But
0: yeah. so, what? What is sexual ethics? I mean, I guess that's such a broad question because we talk about ethics a lot on the podcast. But I wonder how you define it.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So, um, I think the the thing with sexual ethics for me is that it it needs to be very flexible, um, and I think that flexibility is necessary because um, There's lots of different types of women with lots of different types of desires um, and uh, any ethical regime needs to kind of fit that. Um, And I think it's important to define sexual ethics in that way because it's very much against how ethics are traditionally formulated. Um, So in my book, I'm attacking a lot of the time um, very sort of white, male, Western philosophical regimes. Mm-hmm. Um and this is the kind of stuff that's given a lot of authority, not only in academia and intellectually and stuff like that, but I guess in everyday conversations and just um in, in all parts of kind of professional life, this kind of ethical regime is given a lot of weight. Um and I don't think it has the it should have the authority over the way women live their lives, um, particularly in and, the area of sexuality.
0: When you say women, do you mean anyone who identifies as a woman? Like, yes. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, I would guess that would include it, but I wonder um, you are teleconferencing in from England. And so I <laughs> would imagine that there's some similarities just based on, you know, the yep. colonialism in the United States. But I wonder, like, what is. I don't know, sexual health and sex ed, like what's the current climate um, that you've seen in London right now? Um,
1: from my understanding, it, it is quite similar to, to mm-hmm. the U.S. And I guess that's going to, the U.S. is a massive country, so I guess it's going to kind of vary right, from, state from to it's different coast to coast. To coast and in <laughs> yeah, precisely. Um, I guess in London, though, um, I suppose we, it is quite progressive, but at the same time, there seems to be, um, at least I've got the sense anyway, that there's quite a big divide between people um, who, who are, um, let's say progressive, but it's not really progressive, is it? It's just valuing people based on their humanity and as human beings, but people who, who are pro-rights, basically, and people who are much more conservative. So those divisions definitely are still still there um and very much so in london um and across the uk i mean i guess it's the same everywhere in the world
0: do people talk about sex pretty openly i mean maybe in, in your circle <laughs> no well actually to be honest i am
1: quite lucky because i i work in academia um although I'm I'm a writer, I'm a researcher, I'm part of an institution um, in London and I'm lucky to be surrounded by um, colleagues who are are very adventurous in their research Um, and we do talk about sex a lot (laughs) and we joke about it and we talk about it seriously um, and, and we study it and we write about it and that's great, but that is not the case outside of academia always. It certainly hasn't been in my experience anyway.
0: Well, what's interesting, I mean, what we talk about a lot on Sluts and Scholars is um, that there are certain institutions or cultural norms where people can't be both sexual and academic or scholarly. And so it seems like you've found a space for that where you're working, but I wonder if you've like come against Mm -hmm. any um, pushback or struggles that you weren't allowed to do the research that you were trying to do. Well, I'm, I'm glad
1: you asked that because that that was really the uh, right at the heart of, of the project that informs the book. So um, my PhD was about um, observations and participatory research at a public sex beach.
0: Um, yeah, so wait, I, what is a public sex beach? Because <laughs> we do not have those that I know of. And if no. we do, please tell me where they are. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, well, I will. Um, th- this one was in the south of France. Um, in a place called Ags, Um and it's kind of a late, uh, a nudist village basically and there's there's a part of that village which is a beach which is where a lot of public sex happens um, during kind of peak summer months, so August and so on. Um, so, so my project was was to go there and to, to sort of to undertake observations but also it became participatory so I was involved in some of the sexual encounters that that took place there
0: how was that i want to know more about the (laughs) um yeah
1: um i i it's it's difficult because i mean you need to be naked all of the time um And that
0: initially feels a bit strange. (laughs) Um, But then after a while... Is that like required? Because at other US beaches, you're like supposed to be clothed unless it's like a specified (laughs) nude spot. So it's like you can't come to the beach unless you're fully naked. Well, this is the
1: weird thing because it's the opposite. It's like, I remember there being people saying... Um, these kind of people self-appointed guardians of nakedness at the beach who happen to be men weirdly um, <laughs> like pointing at people going oh my god in French obviously um, they're not clothed and you know there, there would then be a big kind of ripple effect where everyone's kind of pointing at them and saying oh you need to go and uh, you need to take off your clothes basically so I mean it's quite <laughs> militant
0: <laughs> um, Guardians of nudity I love it yeah that sounds like yeah. a fun job <laughs>
1: It kind of does, actually. Um, so, yeah, it was quite, I guess there's kind of a bit of pressure to be to be naked. Um, uh, yeah, so then there's, there's kind of quite a lot of sex happening. Um, and, and I guess it was kind of, it was quite a difficult project for me, um, both personally and academically, because personally um, I was in a relationship at the time. Um, but also, I mean, academically, this is not the kind of work that people normally do in the law school. <laughs> like, it, it's, it's never really about, um, it's not really about sex, and it's certainly not about the sexuality of the researcher themselves. Um, and it's certainly not about um, studying actual sex. It's more in terms of kind of writing about sex. Right. So what you were saying about that kind of difficulty of talking about sex and having sex um, as a woman who's also... Um an academic um and thinking about sex in a kind of philosophical intellectual way or legal way, yeah, that's very much at odds um and it was funny because before I went, I had to go through i guess you would probably have it in the states too, like an a research ethics procedure right um so you have to talk to the committee who's which is part of the institution and and to they get have it to... approved exactly, yeah. For them to sanction you to to go,
0: Um, and so what did you tell them you were going to be doing?
1: (laughs) I I told them exactly what I would be doing. Um, I I didn't, you know, dwell too much on the participatory aspects so much. (laughs) I'm just like imagining you sitting
0: in the in in this meeting, being like, "So I'm going to go to the south of France. There's these sex beaches. I'm going to be watching. Maybe I'll join in." (laughs) Maybe I will. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Maybe I Maybe I won't.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so the so the problem was they didn't approve it initially. Um, and what I thought was funny, and what everyone actually thinks is funny in the end, is that firstly, their their main concern was physical safety. Um, I mean, would they be asking that question if I if I were a male researcher? I don't know. Um, secondly, um, they were worried that I would, (laughs) they were worried that I would follow people into caves. (laughs) I would kind of, there are no caves on this beach, but they were worried that I would follow them. Um, and what were they worried was going to happen in the caves? Like that you would be unsafe or you would have great sex or. I think both, I think both of those things, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. They were worried that I would have sex that it would be good sex, um, and that they were, or they were worried that I would be infringing some kind of privacy. So they were worried about me doing both of those things. I couldn't really win in some ways. Um, but in the end, I, I I argued back about their concerns, and and they they let it through. So actually, in the end, they were quite good, um, and I think I was quite lucky because I'm not sure if in other institutions the project would have gone through. So I, I think I was quite lucky.
0: Yeah, how did you convince them?
1: Um, well, I, I I kind of made the right noises. I said, "Oh, I'm not going to be in danger because part of the code." Um, and I I I never well, I I was at some point in danger. I think. Well, I felt like I was in danger, but the the space is kind of a swingers like environment. So there's a very clear code of like consent. Um, it's a very active code of consent. So if you, even if you're just waving somebody away or looking at them in a certain way, they're not going to be infringing on your personal space unless you you don't invite them, if you see what I mean. Um, so I just made those kind of assurances and said, that you know, I know what kind of space I'm entering and it's going to be all right because I know the, the ethics of that space.
0: And do you feel like that was true when you were there? I mean, is there are there people sort of looking out for consent, um, or did, did you feel concerned at any point?
1: Um, I, I, I felt concerned certainly for myself at one point when I was, um, so one of the little stories in the book, which is um, a, a particularly striking one I think, is when I go um, into the dunes, um, which is out of kind of really public sight, um, and there was a lot of men um, there. Um, and at some point, it just becomes quite overwhelming because there's so many people you're trying to wave off of you that you at, at one point do become overwhelmed by it and, it. and it is not quite so clear-cut in the sense that, you know, they're getting the message that everything might not be completely okay. Um, mm. So, I mean, on the whole... Yes, I mean, I think the rule, the rule did operate well, but there, but I think there are interesting instances where it doesn't quite work, and I'm kind of interested in those and what, what that says about
0: that kind of
1: thing generally.
0: You know? Do you think it's that there's this assumption that if someone is going there and if they're naked that it's like an open invitation?
1: Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And I think that if people are there, it's assumed that you're kind of okay with it. Like entirely, you might well be. Mm, like and That's a blanket great consent instead yeah. of checking in as you go. Yeah, exactly. The 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 space and the circumstances automatically mean that that consent is kind of ever present. Um, whereas in fact, it's a lot more complicated than that.
0: So, what were you hoping to to find or to to prove in in looking at this? Like, were those things that you were expecting? Was there anything surprising? Um, I'm not
1: actually sure what I was trying to prove but I think I mean what what I no, what I did want to prove was that the assumptions about what people want sexually particularly women are not necessarily true and I think it's it's going to be radically contingent upon each individual woman in her individual circumstances or each individual Mm -hmm. person in their own individual circumstances and it's precisely what we were saying. It's not that just because you are in a situation in an environment like a public sex speech that you are therefore consenting. That's just not true. And it also doesn't mean that you, you have a particular sexual ethic, like that, that you are prepared to sleep with anybody <laughs> or that you are automatically not, um, kind of, um, into monogamy or, you know that just because you're somewhere, it doesn't necessarily mean something about your sexuality. If you see what I mean?
0: Yeah. I don't know if you are comfortable saying, but you mentioned you were in a relationship, and I yeah. don't know if it was a, a monogamous or a non-monogamous one. But I wonder, mm. were they s- supportive of this research? Did you kind of change the the boundaries of it for this project? Um, that's a that's
1: a really good question, and um, actually, it forms a big part of the book um so the book is it's whilst it's it is kind of a philosophical account it's also a very personal account so it's about kind of personal sexual ethics and um the relationship i was in was quite a difficult relationship so it was quite a there was a power imbalance um in that the person was was in academia and quite a powerful person within academia and philosophy and so on um and it was kind of a, it was supposed to be a monogamous relationship, but he was actually, he was actually married at the time. Um, And and it caused a lot of problems when we, when I went to do my research, I always said that actually I'm I'm just, I'm just going to kind of figure things out and I'm not going necessarily to have sex. I'm not really that interested in having sex, but I just think these are cool questions and important questions to ask. Um, And I've always been interested in sexuality. Um, but kind of, he, he had a very jealous, very possessive response. And I thought that that was quite, that was quite interesting, particularly given his position of power. Yeah. And that, (laughs) it's funny, I never go straight to that, but yeah, that. (laughs) (laughs) That's where I went. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. That's where I should have gone. But, um, yeah, so it's very interesting that kind of everything combined in that particular body kind of philosophical authority, male authority the possessiveness over me um he was kind of my law i guess
0: um on the beach and i mean i don't know what his his kind of relational setup was but if we're talking about sexual ethics do you think that fits into that sort of relationship dynamic like if it if it was an affair if it was non-monogamous mm. like i wonder if your your own ethics have changed since doing this research yeah.
1: I think, I think they have. I think it's, if anything, I think um, the, the conversations that, that I ended up having with my lover at the time um, were too much. <laughs> I think, I think when it comes to sexual ethics, it, it is very personal. It's about whether you feel secure and whether you feel safe, no matter what the identities mm-hmm. and dynamics of the relationship are. And there shouldn't be this responsibility for Full disclosure and full honesty, and so on, unless that's what's been explicitly agreed, obviously.
0: <laughs> but mm, so that, like, you have to decide if the ethics of the relationship are to be completely transparent or open. Yeah, or
1: whether that transparency, uh, transparency or openness, are ethical for that relationship. Um, because it might be the case that the both parties don't want to know <laughs> if there is. Another right. party, let's say, and that's what's been agreed. Um, like a don't
0: ask, don't tell kind of setup.
1: Yeah, that kind of thing exactly. Um, or it might be that you know, if if somebody's bisexual, then they don't really mind if they're with women, but they don't want to know about the men. Or you know, this infinite kind of variations of of how sexual ethics could could work um, between people. Hey,
0: listeners. Pause with me for a moment and take a big, deep breath. <sighs> Hopefully you aren't feeling stressed listening to this episode, but for the other hours in the day, we have something for you. I'm super excited to announce our sponsors for this episode. Introducing Calm, the number one app to help you reduce anxiety and stress and help you sleep better. If you head to calm.com sns s You'll get 25% off a Calm Premium subscription, which includes guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, and focus, including a brand new meditation each day. They even have soothing music and more. I've been giving this as a tool for clients for years and using it myself, so I'm really excited, but also calm, that they have generously helped to sponsor this episode. Right now, Sluts and Scholars listeners get 25% off a Calm Premium subscription at com.com backslash S&S. S. That's C-A-L-M.com slash S-A-N-D-S. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at com.com slash S&S. S. Thanks so much. Back to the episode. I'm so curious what the actual like beach setup was like to try to give our listeners like an image. I think there's this stereotype, at least for like, there's a few nude beaches, mm. at least in California, that you can go to that are kind of like sectioned off. And I think there's like this stereotype that you never um, meet the people you want to meet at the nude beach. <laughs> um, so there's this yeah. stereotype that it's often like, quote unquote, creepy men. Uh, creepy older men who are just well, like prancing around yeah and so i wonder like was there more of a, a gender split i'm just thinking like in the waves dance, flopping just around. About, yeah. Like, frolicking.
1: yeah i mean there is some of that and and just to give you kind of an idea so in in kind of july august which was when i was there for this project um that square kilometer of beach that I'm talking about as the public sex beach um, was absolutely heaving with people I mean I'm saying that you can't you couldn't walk around it without accidentally touching somebody where you don't really necessarily mean to touch somebody like it's it's properly thick with with bodies um, there's really loud music playing even the sand is kind of vibrating it's really sweaty it's extremely hot not necessarily that sexy actually um so yeah there are like creepy men around and i guess they, i mean there are and I, I thinking back on it now that i did spend quite a lot of time waving off creepy men but there are also non-creepy men um lots of beautiful women um however the kind of the beauty is a very specific kind, it's very sort of perfumed, very shaven, very kind of, I don't know, um, sort of very peacockish. So people are kind of around the beach kind of strutting their stuff. Mm. So the kind of body diversity is not that interesting. Um, It's,
0: I guess people are there a lot of the time for show. Um, So you found a lot of more like stereotypical, um, like the cultural norms of beauty, like thin shaved yeah
1: yeah yeah exactly um interesting and and, and there were there were people that, that weren't that um but I, my impression of it was that i felt very kind of any flaw that i perceived in my body i felt very insecure about it like <laughs> i was like i'm not sure i want to be kind of i mean it turns out that people probably weren't particularly um looking at these things but um, but you just never know. <laughs> so you kind of never know where people's eyes That's are. That's so interesting so to me because my, kind of my
0: experience in um, some of those communities, at least in, I mean, I can only speak from my experience, but at least in California or Los Angeles, is that folks who are interested in more of the the swinging or the non-monogamy or kink or public nudity seem to, by nature, um, support more of like body diversity and body positivity, so it's mm. interesting to hear that like this is not what you found there
1: yeah no i do di- I didn't really find that or, or at least i didn't I didn't sense that um I mean I think i mean it's it's very possible and i have in my kind of sexual experiments in that kind of area, I have encountered people that are very warm, very open and very sort of like very earthy and it's and it's and it's great. But I must admit, I didn't. I didn't feel like that on the beach. I felt that it was quite an artificial, very pornographic environment. Not that pornography is necessarily bad, but I guess at the time that that was was more a peacock performance, almost. Yeah, yeah, performative. Yeah,
0: yeah. Interesting. And so, were people mostly engaging in stuff? Were more people talking? Like, did it look like just one? I mean, the way you described it sounded like. Did you ever see that um, old movie, Perfume? <laughs> I, don't think, I, I have. think it was no. called Perfume. It was like a very creepy horror film, but at the end they like, there's this like scent that's like made from human scent and it they, it turns into this oh. like giant undulating orgy and that's like almost how you were describing oh my God. like the movement. I need to watch yeah, that. It's, well, it's super creepy, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but at the end there's this random like <laughs> orgy and you're like, okay. But the way you're describing like the sand dunes and so many people crammed like, in and the sand oh, yeah, vibrating, yeah. like it's Seems like it's almost this free for all. And I wonder if that's what it was like. It it
1: was a bit like that. So, I mean, there there was a particular time dynamic. So, um, when I said it was almost not particularly sexy because it's too damn hot, like that, that's true. People were generally sort of um, like hanging out in the sea and chatting to one another, um, sort of, I guess, kind of cruising really, sort of looking and seeing people they might want to hook up with. But when things really kicked off, it was kind of later when the sun started to dip, so it became less kind of intense heat. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when things started to fragment off into lots of different sort of orgies and so on. I'd
0: just be concerned Um, about getting sunburns in sensitive places. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. a real concern and it's and it's actually it's funny you say that so the only thing that my university wanted to check up on was that I was taking sunscreen with me
0: <laughs> so make sure to stay hydrated put sunscreen on your
1: nipples that's exactly what happened that's exactly what happened apart from the nipples because you wouldn't have had the university saying the word nipple <laughs> so it was just like uh, apply
0: sunscreen also so, what about the sand
1: Yeah, also a thing. Yeah, problematic. Uh, Actually, um, there's an encounter that I describe um, in the book about kind of getting sand in my mouth, and it's all a bit gross, because it's real, right? The Sand is sticking to the sweat and the sunscreen, and it becomes a bit of a mouthful, or it gets in uncomfortable places. So to be honest, having sex on the beach is not not my favourite thing. It's not as
0: exciting as as it's put out to be. (laughs) Sounds no definitely not so you went and you you did this how how long did you did you do your research for um so
1: it was around a month actually and i i had a like a a a journal basically where i kind of recorded everything that happened and some days it was nothing and i couldn't be bothered (laughs) to do anything i just i didn't want to be kind of um you know caught in any kind of situation I just wanted to sit in the sun and just kind of observe things quietly and some days I would do that so so yeah I just day-to-day was recording stuff in a journal um seeing what happened um
0: yeah and I don't know what the what that research ethics are um with with your institution here we have I guess an, an IRB board like an internal review board like you were describing and I right. wonder um yeah. how do you get consent um, like, did people have to sign to participate? Did they know they were being watched? Like, what are the ethics of that kind of um, that kind mm, of like? In that's vivo an interesting research? one.
1: Yeah. Um, so, because nobody was identified um, either in um, in my notes or in my book or anything, no no one person is ever identified. Do you
0: identify demographics um, though, I, I, like? race approximate age
1: um I, I don't think i do actually oh, okay um the only thing i will say i will specify is gender um and and, and that was all or some kind of maybe a characteristic like <laughs> i might describe a particularly big cock or something you know it's not there's nothing that identifies somebody personally um so in that case kind of ethically it's it's okay um, from an institutional perspective, it's okay. Um, the, the, the more ethical sensitivity is in relation to kind of what, what I'm doing. So about the university's kind of duty of care to me, I guess. Um, but in terms of the, the participants themselves, I mean, they weren't even really participants in the sense that I was kind of observing them and I was at all times covert. But there are some really interesting questions to ask about co- covert observation and people being kind of research subjects and so on. But, um, but at no time was I kind of examining people or talk, uh, you know, kind of giving them lots of questions about sexuality. I mean, most of the people on the beach spoke French anyway, and <laughs> I don't speak French very well, so I wasn't able to talk
0: to them. Yeah, how did you navigate um, consent in another language?
1: Yeah, um, so so you, you don't really talk, um, so it's kind of to do with um, looks and kind of touching or um, gestures. It's, it's, it's all kind of all it takes, really. So... It's just, yeah, you don't really need to speak.
0: That's so interesting, so like it's more like body, body consent,
1: Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think it is an interesting one, so when you I, I think it kind of speaks to how kind of ultimately obvious consent is in the sense that it's obvious when somebody is consenting um so when particularly with the sort of the legal discourse about oh she didn't say no she didn't resist she didn't do that I think that is kind of nonsense and it's very very clear when somebody's consenting um so my experiences at the beach it would have been very obvious that I was not consenting because I'd be very closed off I wouldn't be kind of inviting anyone with you know Looks or gestures.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think, um, at least in our culture, the culture that I know and in the circles that uh, that I run, maybe run with or that we have on the podcast, mm. it's very much like about clear, clear, ongoing, enthusiastic consent. Um, yeah, yeah. And you know, making sure that you establish, like, if you're not able to to say it out loud, that you establish like a a known movement. So I could. I could see that that could leave room for some potential creepy, unsafe feeling scenarios if not everyone is like on the mm. same page or there aren't like, it's not like a dungeon where there's like monitors looking out.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think I think also with going back to what we said earlier about the space being Problematic because it can sometimes give the well. I don't think it does give the impression, but some people might perceive the space to give the impression of blanket consent just because somebody's like you are here, you are naked, let's do it, you are ready. Yeah, and 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 you know, yeah, exactly. So that, along with perhaps not having, um, you know, a very clear code, um, sort of speaking, like you say, enthusiastic consent. If that's not happening, then that gives rise, I think. To, to problems um and i think it's particularly so and it's one of the things i talk about in the book is that unfortunately i think women's sexual identities are open to kind of that sort of manipulation so it's i think i think even the ethics committee fell foul of that in the sense that oh she's going to a public sex beat be she must be you know really up for it
0: (laughs) so she's obviously going to be causing us Mm. problems. did they say that or it just was kind of like you felt that
1: no I mean no they they didn't say that I think it's kind of more sort of (laughs) implicit in there it's like well that whole thing about worrying about my personal safety and what I would be doing um I think there's a very kind of particular legal personhood kind of at play because i think women are always constructed as as either sort of very angelic or they are not you know they're going to be if they're very interested in sex they're automatically promiscuous they are problematic so it means that 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 that's of i'm either falling into one or other of those
0: i feel so conflicted Um, about the beach because on one hand in theory, it sounds like it could be fun. I'm really glad that there's a place that like mm. exists where people can yeah. be naked and do this and it's in public and it's like sanctioned and it's okay. Um, on the other hand, it sounds like there's like some murky consent issues um, and that mm. it's not really looked after. And I think on top of it, I mean, this might not be for everyone, but I think something that friends of mine have spoken about when they've gone to Europe or when they've gone to nude beaches is that they like that they can be naked on the beach, but it's not sexualized. Like it's just, um, seen as normal. Like it's just, you know, like a person Mm -hmm. with a penis would have their shirt off and show their nipples. So it's fine for a person with a vulva to have their shirt off and show their nipples and breasts. Um, and that it's not, you know, that you're not being like attacked and, Mm -hmm. um, looked at in a sexual way and sexualized if you don't want to be so it's interesting that there's this beach that is nude that does promote like that's exactly what it's for is to sexualize
1: yeah it's for sexualizing yeah everyone yeah exactly um, and, and yeah the funny thing is that actually immediately next door to what we're calling the public sex beach is a is a space where kind of people are just naked. Um, there's families <laughs> and everyone's just relaxing, like just in the way that you you were just saying. Um, so it's really strange to pass through that and <laughs> then into the public sex beach and it's like, whoa, everything changes right here. Um, it reminds me yeah, of like so, here we have then, uh, like
0: things of like, where can you surf and where can you swim? And I just imagine this like imaginary line of like, here's the fucking <laughs> part and here's like the relaxing part. <laughs>
1: He's the chilling part. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of, he's exactly like that. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's so, so interesting. I wonder how it's like, how did it impact you when you came back and like shared your research? Because as an academic, mm. like, have you been able to, to speak about this? Do you find that other academics or researchers have treated you differently? I mean, you, you seem to be so open and person, like the research is so personal and talking about your personal relationships it, it, it like is. how do you how do you balance this because i've sort of it been is. taught to like limit my personal disclosures to be taken seriously as a professional mm. like even me doing this podcast is like mm. a, a gray area for a yeah. lot of um academics it's and therapists yes risk. yeah yeah
1: um and up until um I started my phd or later on into my phd i was kind of also told the same thing that you need to be objective distanced and rigorous and it's academic research and that's what it is like you don't bring the personal into it but i think that bringing the personal into it is is so important um and, I, and I, a lot of people, when I was publishing my book, were sort of saying, do you really want all this out there? Because it is, it is extremely personal and it's, it's quite explicit in places. It's, it's you know, it, it's proper. So, and, and I do feel like that because I, <laughs> I was saying to somebody yesterday that um, part of me is worried no one's going to read it and the other part of me is terrified that people will read it because it's that thing of, yeah, I want it out there, but at the same time it does mean something. It is kind of risky and it is kind of scary, like people's judgments can be really harsh and um, it can be really, really difficult and exposing. Um, but at the same time I think that's really important and generally speaking in academia, particularly within sexuality studies, people are really have really been quite supportive. Um, And other people are doing kind of work to do with sexuality, um, always kind of understand the problems and and do kind of stand with you. Um, But I think there's always going to be that kind of contingent that aren't going to be happy about what you're doing. Um, And I think I'm just quite lucky about the institution that I work with and the people that I work with. Yeah, that you even got this approved and got funding for it. (laughs) Yeah, well, I didn't actually get any funding. Oh, you
0: didn't. <laughs> yeah. Is that because they, wouldn't no. give, they don't give a lot of funding or because of the topic? Um,
1: I mean, it probably is ultimately because of the topic, but really it's because humanities-type research um, is very underfunded in the UK. I expect it's probably fairly similar in the States as well. Um, but it's much easier to get funding in the sciences and so on and with very kind of
0: serious in quotes uh research i'm just trying to imagine though i mean i know there's the the old masters and johnson there's other ways of getting research but i do wonder how limited are we in the research that we can do around sex if we're not having the sex
1: (laughs) yeah big time um and this is i'm so glad you say that because it's one of one of my my big arguments is that how can we learn about uh, how can we make a uh, a women's philosophy of of sex if we um, if we if we don't have sex as women and we don't have researchers who are doing this kind of kind of work? Um, and the trouble is that a lot of the ethical frameworks, as as we've just discovered in our conversation, are set up
0: not to allow that work. Do you think that other um, genders, I guess specifically men, should even write about women's sexuality or vice versa?
1: um i think that's difficult isn't it um i think i think everyone should be able to write i guess what they want but but i think my concern is is about amplifying voices of women doing women's sexuality work um and i'm so excited by the work of wednesday martin that we mentioned very briefly earlier in the um um in the beginning um because she's so she's got this movement of the big correction and so on and really bringing um women's voices to um to
0: thinking about what sexuality is for women right, and challenging um, the narrative and I guess, like the false false findings yeah. or that there's so much more we've learned now yeah. that women are leading the charge mm-hmm. in some of that research <laughs>
1: yeah yeah, and that needs to happen, and it, and I guess my concern is that also needs to happen in in philosophy and and, and in academia and in, in literature and writing and ways of expressing uh, women's sexuality. It kind of, it, there needs to be a lot of women involved in this, and my worry is that, that academia isn't quite catching up with that yet. So, the focus is still very much on kind of commercially viable research. Um, sciences and so on and uh, but but not about sexuality
0: i mean not that i'm encouraging everyone to go do their own research and just go to random like (laughs) naked beaches though you can and we would love to hear about it something that you mentioned um when i was you know looking at at the book that's coming out um which is going to be at the end of june and we're definitely going to tell all of our listeners when it's coming out so you can read it um, but something that you mentioned is that you're trying to bridge the gap between academic and everyday questioning of sexual encounters. And something that we do on this podcast is, you know, we do have scholars in the academic sense on, but we also encourage people to kind of be scholars of their own sexuality and sex education. Oh
1: god, yeah. And so I wonder like
0: yeah. as an academic, how how do you bridge that gap between academia and everyday questioning? of sexuality and sexual encounters?
1: Yeah, that's the, that's the biggest question of all, really. Isn't yeah, read it? the book if you um, want the answer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, that would, that, I guess that would help. But, I mean, what I try to do in the book is that I, I never wanted to write an academic book or a, or a kind of philosophy text, and I haven't. I mean, it's, it's definitely not that. It's, um, it's not as expensive as those kind of books that are like 150 pounds. It's like my book is... Um, is much cheaper than that. Yeah, and um, how do you even write it? Like, it's, it's are you
0: including kind of <laughs> like parenthetical <laughs> citations, APA formatting, or are you just like it's sort no. of erotica?
1: <laughs> nope. <laughs> it's 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 it is basically erotica and philosophy, like, and personal narrative all together, and trying to kind of reflect this thing that was that research encounter. Um, and I guess what I'm saying is that to be your to to bridge that gap, then there needs to be an opening of the of ways in which we can express findings about our sexuality, um, and also a, a freedom to kind of to question um, sexual ethics, particularly for women, because I I just don't think. I, I mean, I know from my personal experience that every male um, partner that I've had. Um, has quite enjoyed shutting me down in this respect in that it's it's these are the rules and that's them and you don't get to question like what what
0: are the rules that Um, they say
1: are not allowed to be questioned well i mean it's i mean it's that you must be one or the other so you have to kind of identify as straight or you identify as gay or you identify as polyamorous Mm -hmm. um and that the rules are very clear about fidelity and faithfulness, and the way that you ought to conduct yourself as a, as a result of that. Um, and what kind of what sexuality I'm allowed to have, and what and how much I'm allowed to desire. And um, that I've always felt I've always felt in some kind of battle about that. Um, and I'm pretty sure, and I know it's not just me who feels that way. Um, but it's about feeling free, I guess, to kind of challenge those norms. Um, and I'm hoping that that with a lot of different voices from different women engaged in sexuality research, um, scholarly and otherwise, um, it will become a lot more easy to question those things.
0: Yeah, and I guess for people who aren't doing research that they're publishing, to just be curious and ask yourself about encounters that you have and taking time to maybe like take it a step further and if, if you can process it with that partner then then do so but if not like even processing it with your friends or with other sluts and scholars uh listeners or like yeah kind exactly hacking um and being curious about encounters
1: yeah i think being curious is, is a big one and also i think one of the things i, I say in the book as well is about being kind um and i think that's kind of to both yourself and, and other people. It sounds very cliched, but I think it's kind of, you know, a proper deep kindness in sexuality, I think is is really important. So curious and kind, I think.
0: How do you practice kindness towards yourself? <laughs> yeah, good question. I know it's, it's always um, easier to it's tell about, other people to do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, yeah, of course it is. Um, but I think it's about not, saying to yourself oh I should have done this or um I should have acted this way this is the way I should be acting this is what what sexuality should look like and this is what my sexuality or my body should look like as a woman um it's just about kind of like you said processing it slowly and sensibly with people who are going to be kind to you and I guess just not judging yourself so much
0: I guess the thing that's tough and maybe you can maybe you can help me unpack this is the hmm. the intersection of sexual ethics and maybe relational or moral ethics that are maybe infringed on us by mm. our relationship agreements or by culture. but sometimes sexual desires um, that are outside of the boundaries of maybe what's been agreed to in a relationship feel so natural and authentic. And they seem to go up against um, maybe our, our morals or our other ethics. And so I wonder how we uh-huh. deal with those intersections um, because it, it just presents this frustration mm-hmm. like we have to almost choose between which ethics are more important. Do we go with our authentic sexual self and just kind of be hedonistic or do we uh-huh. find some balance of other ethics?
1: I think it's got to be a balance. I think that's a really big question, but I'm not a big fan of morality, I've got to say. Not that I think that everyone should be immoral, but I just think that the the foundations of morality and moral philosophy... Well, so subjective, right? Like,
0: what is morality?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's just sub- subjective because... Uh, I guess that's 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 almost a bit of a cop out, but in the sense that the kind of objective morality kind of feeds into the subjective anyway, so what we're told is is kind of moral we we internalize and mm-hmm. and I guess i've the feeling I've always had is that as a woman I shouldn't i mean I know not everyone has this experience that as a woman, I shouldn't really desire like I shouldn't have like a proper sexuality, it's not you know any discussion of sex and it's always been shut down and um historically for me. So in that sense, I guess that is tied to a particular kind of morality. Um, So in that sense, I don't, I mean, I don't buy into morality as as an idea. Um, That's why I kind of prefer ethics, I guess, because it's, it is contingent on the particular people involved in an encounter, but I completely get what you're saying about Um, it's frustrating when you know what the ethical thing to do is, but your sexuality may conflict with that. Definitely. Um, and this, this happens, right? And I, I don't know what the answer is, but you've just got to negotiate it, um, with somebody who, um, so I guess what I'm trying to say with this kind of stuff is that you ought to feel, comfortable to talk through this situation with whoever your partner or partners are Mm -hmm. and if you don't then there's something that might potentially be be wrong i guess right um i mean it's always going to be hard i mean these things are not um they're not easy are they To, to sort of say to somebody oh this is happening and I really want to have sex with this person and it's not really what we agreed and what we're we going to do.
0: Yeah, but even being um, able to name being, that and having a conversation can be yeah, fulfilling in some way and helpful.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: Oh my gosh, well this has been so amazing I want people to be able to like read this in full I'm so excited to to check it out so tell 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 me tell our listeners um, when can we expect the book tell us you know a little more about when it's coming out and um, and how folks can can find it
1: yeah so the book is called Fucking law um, and it's subtitled the search for her sexual ethics um, it's out on the 27th of June, 2019, so this year. Um, it's open for pre-order now, so you can hop onto Amazon um, and search for, for my name, Victoria Brooks, and fucking law, the search for sexual ethics, and there you'll find it, ready for pre-order. Um, and it's very exciting.
0: Um, yeah, that's what's happening. Amazing. Well, we encourage all of our listeners to check out this research, do your own scholarly research within your own life and stay curious one of the ways to do that is to join us on patreon for more content www.patreon.com slash sluts and scholars also give a listen to this trailer coming up from shameless sex they are another podcast that we love and are a part of our pleasure podcast collective we hope you enjoy Welcome to the Shameless Sex Podcast. I'm Amy, sex educator and sex and relationship coach. I'm April, VP of a high-end international sex toy company. We're best friends who make our own rules about who we are as sexual beings. Each week, we bring you world-renowned experts to help you have the sex life you've always wanted. And guess what? We're still learning, too. That means you also get a sneak peek into our own sex escapades, Like that one time when April shares her story about losing her anal virginity. Ooh, or that one time when Amy shares all about her daddy issues and how she likes to be dominated in the bedroom. Um, you mean every time? Oh, how about that one time when April was on a mission to learn how to squirt? Hey, thank you, Kegels. Subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts and join us every Tuesday for Unabashed Real Talk that will teach you some things that will blow your mind, have you crying with laughter, and, and probably, probably get you a little turned on. A slight sentence.